0: You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode.
1: Welcome
0: to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Now welcome your host, Teddy Pony and his lovely wife Tracy. I hear she's a lovely girl. (laughs) Hey, this is Anthony from Westchester County, New York, and you're listening to the awesomeness that is Hillbilly Horror Stories.
1: That's creepy.
0: Welcome, everybody, to episode 33 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I am Jerry, and this is my wife, Tracy.
1: Hey, guys. How are you?
0: And I think that was very creepy. That was my granddaughter, Addison, so uh, we played that on there, but I thought it fit perfect at the end of that song. (laughs) We have an awesome show for you guys tonight. This is probably going to be another long one. We don't have any interviews or anything, uh, but we're going to talk about the true story behind the movie A Haunting in Connecticut. We're going to tell you what happened, um, supposedly really happened, according to the parents and the kids themselves. Uh, we'll talk about some stuff that was a little different from the movie when it came out in 2009, and then we'll talk about what some other people said after the fact. We're also going to talk about, as the before mentioned, Aradel mental hospital uh, which is in uh, melbourne australia uh, in victoria and that is a really cool story so both of these could probably be shows by themselves but we're going to give you both of them tonight we are also going to have um which i think is pretty cool somebody we had a a listener suggest tina thank you for this uh that we do some stories behind nursery rhymes so we're going to do a couple of those i think those might surprise some people and then last but not least um Back by popular demand, uh, Tracy's gonna recite re, uh, some more rap lyrics later tonight. God. So, this is gonna be fun, I think.
1: Yeah, fun.
0: <laughs> Alright, so, um, I guess let's, let's just jump right into this since we got so much stuff to do. And, um, let's start off with a haunting in Connecticut. Alright, so as usual, I'd like to give you a little bit of background. Uh, this is gonna take place in 1986 in, in Southington, Connecticut. And what you've got, you've got the Snedeker family. Uh, Carmen and Alan are the parents. They've got three boys and one girl. And the 14 year old son, Paul, has cancer. Oh. Now they lived up in upstate New York and they only gave him six months to live unless they went through some aggressive treatment. And so what was happening is the family was, was driving eight hours to and from every time he had to have treatments. Wow. And, you know, it was really... It's a be- lot. Yeah, it was really becoming a, a problem. So they kind of decided the best thing to do would be able to move well, closer to the well, hospital. yeah,
1: I was going to say, why wouldn't they move closer or something well, people, or just stay in Well, people have or...
0: jobs and all that well, stuff, and it's true. just it's just harder to do. Well, what happened was that Dad Allen uh, talked to his company. He was able to get a transfer to Connecticut, and, you know... He couldn't do it immediately, so for the time being, he was going to send the wife and the kids up. They were going to to, uh, try to find a a place to live, so she was pretty much having to do all this on her own. Yeah. She checked out a bunch of apartments, but she's got a bigger family, and as she was driving by one day, she saw this house. had a rental sign in the front. It looked like they were doing some renovations. So she went and went inside, even though they were just still renovating, and she asked if she could look around, and she just absolutely fell in love with the place.
1: Oh, okay. I
0: mean, it had a basement, it had a, a main floor, and it had a second floor. Oh, plenty, yeah, plenty plenty of room. Space. Yeah, plenty of space for all of them. Plenty of room for activities. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Will Ferrell would be proud. And so they go ahead, and, and she brings the husband in. They check the place out. They get it. Well, like I said, he couldn't come down right away. And he actually stayed up with the other kids. Her and Paul, who was the 14-year-old with cancer, went ahead and moved in first.
1: Oh, so just the two of them went then?
0: Just the two of them in in, in the initial. Okay. And um, so they go ahead, and and they're in there. And he's having to have treatments almost every single day. While they're in the house, uh, the one thing that they notice, the husband comes down and checks it out, right, before they completely move in. Uh So they go down to the basement. And they notice there's one room in the basement that they didn't check out. It's kind of got some French doors to it. So it was just kind of closed off from the rest of the, the place. And they go in there and they start noticing there's all this equipment in there. There's a gurney and there's uh, a, some, a bunch of saws and some uh, just a bunch of like pumps and what have you. And they can't figure out what this is. And then eventually they figure out that it's tools th- that a mortician would use and an yeah. embalmer would use. So they figure out that this apparently used to be a funeral home.
1: Oh, it was a funeral
0: home. Yeah, so this oh, they, wow. for whatever reason the real estate agent had I don't know if it's just an oversight, but they left all the the equipment, the embalming equipment, and everything in there.
1: I don't see how that's an oversight.
0: Yeah, but well, it wasn't a room that was closed off. So, and then so the problem obviously when they first realized this, the the, the mom had a big problem with it because. She, You know, they got to keep this hidden from the kids. They don't want the kids to know she's got a 14-year-old that's battling for his life. Yeah. And she don't want him to think about death at all.
1: Oh, man. And,
0: you know, the the thought of this maybe being a funeral home and and him thinking about his own mortality could be an issue. Yeah. Which, if that wasn't enough, they had to drive past the cemetery to get there.
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, what was Mom thinking?
0: Well, she didn't know any of this. Well, she knew the cemetery
1: was there. (laughs) I guess she wouldn't do that, but.
0: But, you know, the house was in a price range. It was a great deal. Yeah, she and, just
1: needed something. So. Right.
0: Well, it turns out that, that they didn't have any choice but to move in because by now they'd already spent the money, you know, to get there. And uh, they, like I said, they weren't going to tell the kids. And the real estate agent, they talked to her. So she came in and moved all the embalming equipment. And there was also a, a, a freezer down there, like a walk in freezer. Because oh, my goodness. You can guess what that was for. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, Ninja's trying to make a guess at what that's for. Ninja, (laughs) we would rather you not take guesses at what that's for while we're trying to do a show. Yeah. So they move in. It's her and the son. And the the first thing that happens is is she's in there mopping the floor, the kitchen floor. And as she's mopping the kitchen floor, it all of a sudden just like the water turns to blood underneath (gasps) the mop. So she's going back and forth and back and forth. And all of a sudden it just becomes red. All over the place.
1: Oh, my gosh. You know,
0: obviously, she's a tad bit freaked out about this. And at the same time, or roughly the same time, Paul goes downstairs and he starts walking in the basement. He's, he's going through that room. Now, all this stuff's been cleaned out except for the gurney at this point. They left the gurney and some other things they thought they might have been able to use. I don't know why they thought they might use a gurney.
1: Well, why didn't they listen? Why didn't that kid listen?
0: What was he supposed to listen about? Nobody told him nothing. Oh,
1: so nobody told. She never said anything. She never said anything about. Oh, I got you. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. So he goes down there and he's immediately petrified. He feels. He says like somebody's watching him. He just feels like that. That you know, there's something there. Yeah. So he goes up within three hours of arriving. Paul goes up to his mom and said, "Hey, this house is evil, and we need to leave
1: immediately." Man.
0: And um, he said he heard a voice down there calling his name. Oh, wow. At this point, once again, nothing they could do. But she took Paul down to the priest of the local um, Catholic church, got to know them. And she asked him to bless Paul, give a little blessing to see if that would help matters. About this time, then they come in with the other kids. They move in. You got Connie's the little sister, Mark's the little brother, and Bobby is two years younger than Paul. That's the three kids yeah. all together and, and him and, uh, and Paul, Bobby and Paul were really close. They were only two years apart. Yeah. They did everything together. And, you know, Paul figured out this was a funeral home all on his own for whatever reason, whether it was somebody, you know, something told him or just figuring out, he figured it out. So he decided when Bobby got there the first time he was going to take him on a tour of the basement. So he takes him down to the basement. And then something weird happened. He, he you know, he, doesn't tell him that it's a funeral home. He pulls him up on the gurney. He
1: and then, puts him on the gurney? Yeah, he
0: puts the, he puts the little, the littler kid, Bobby, up yeah. on the gurney. And then he just kind of starts spinning it around and it's freaking the little kid out, but he don't want to act like he's freaked out because that's his big brother and he doesn't want to, you know, but he was, he was petrified and he gets up and, and leaves. And of course, the husband's still in New York at this time. So now it's just the kids and the mom. The little girl, Connie, she comes down the first night that they spent the night and how they had to set up, uh, that Connie was upstairs, the little boy Mark was upstairs, and then the two sons, Paul and Bobby, who were close, they they were downstairs in the basement. That's where their bedroom was. Now, their their bedroom, it was a big room, and then it had those French doors leading to where that well, embalming stuff was. So but the,
1: wait, why was he spending him on the table?
0: He just did. I mean, he
1: just did it for his own, or, was on, was, or like, somebody he told him just, to? He was
0: just like being a jerk
1: Aww, all of a sudden. That's mean. Yeah.
0: So that night... Connie comes running to her mom and says there's a woman in her room. The mom goes, checks it out. She don't see anything, and, and therefore, she just chalks it up to being scared of being in a new house. Yeah. And then the sons start telling the mom and dad that they see people in the embalming in, in room. Because keep in mind, they have their room, and then it's French doors that have windows that you can kind of see in, but it's supposed to be dark back there, but they're saying they can see people walk back and forth through there. Oh, my gosh. Now, of course, just like the little girl, they tell the mom what's happening, and she don't believe them. You
1: know, okay, why it. don't she believe it? She knows what she, is there. But was there. just because
0: you know something was a funeral home don't mean you believe in ghosts and don't believe that you think things like that are, you know, because just like the dad said when they found out it was a funeral home, he's like, look, nobody died here. They were dead when they brought them here. So that's that was the mentality of it.
1: Oh well, that'd still freak me out. Though, well, for
0: because sure. of the fact that, that Paul and and Bobby were seeing stuff move around in there, they started coming in and sleeping on the couch up in the, the you know the main floor.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And uh, so then the first incident happened with the mom, which she kind of played off. Yeah, she takes the you know the plates out, the fancy plates, unlike the uh, Tupperware bowls and paper plates we had yeah. eat out of. <laughs> but she took the the good china out. She sets the table. She got disrupted by something, and when she goes back, the plates aren't on the table. And she's
1: like, don't be using my good time.
0: She was thinking, you know, I thought I set the table, table, but maybe I didn't set the table. Oh, my gosh. So she just, you know, chalked it up to that. So then the mom's all, you know, like I said, she's not believing any of the kids whatsoever. And they were keeping food because they got a big family. They were keeping food down in that freezer. In the down in the in the
1: the freezer they did the thing in? Yeah. Oh my
0: gosh. So she would go and tell like like the little boy Bobby, he he didn't like going down there. He didn't like being in his room in the daytime, even though it's the middle of day. She's like, Hey go down and get me some bread.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't either.
0: And he's like, Man. So he goes down there
1: He's like, mom, bread is full of carbs. We don't yeah. need to eat bread.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where are you at? This is 2017. <laughs> well, actually it was not So this is 1986. Uh, oh, so I okay. guess the bread thing, the Atkins thing hadn't really started. Oh, that's yet. true. So they go downstairs or he, she sends him downstairs and he hears a voice say Paul. So it freaks him out. So he comes running back upstairs, didn't get the bread.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, it's just like,
0: it's just like playing wide receiver. If you're going to take the hit, catch the ball. No, you're no, already no. down there. Grab, oh. grab the bread. So anyways, he comes back upstairs, he's telling her, they walk back downstairs, they opened the freezer, she's like, see, nothing. And he's like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> he probably didn't say Say that, damn, but. yeah. So now you got the dad, Alan, he actually arrives to spend the weekend and they had to have a group meeting. Oh, you so know. he's
1: only there on the weekend now. Well,
0: right now, yeah, because he's still got to work, they hadn't gotten his transfer yet. <sighs> so he comes in and they're sitting at the table and they say, yeah, look, it was a funeral home, deal with it.
1: Oh, they tell the kids. Yeah, they're like, "Look,
0: it's a funeral." Because by now, the mom's telling them, you know, they think what's happened is Paul figured it out, so he's told all the other kids, and now he's got them all petrified. Yeah. So they're basically like, "Look, it used to be a funeral home. It ain't no big deal. Let it go." And Paul quit scaring your kids. To which he's like, "Shit, I got cancer and stuff. You're telling me I'm scaring kids?"
1: Oh my god. So
0: didn't really like it. He couldn't. He was starting to get irritated at the point that they were seeing stuff and nobody would believe them. Yeah. Well. Paul had these, um, you know, daily cancer treatments. He yeah. had to go and go through the things, and it was really starting to take a toll on the yeah, family on a, financially. Yeah,
1: and his, I'm sure his body well, was wearing down, too. They
0: were thinking that what was going on was maybe the medicine he was on was causing hallucinations.
1: Hallucinations, yeah.
0: So that's kind of what they what they chalked it up to. Well, then the mom starts noticing other little things, like all these crucifixes that used to be hanging around the house. They all start just disappearing. I don't know what it takes for a lady to take a hint and a half <laughs> that something's going on. You know, you got plates, you got kids all saying something, you got yeah. crucifixes, and you're still like, oh, well, I don't know. I guess I just fell off the wall and yeah, rolled getting, under a cupboard somewhere.
1: She's getting on my nerves. She needs to recognize.
0: Well, here's when things start really getting bad. So, Bobby and Paul, they're down in in the basement, right? And they're they asleep. Well, they start hearing these voices and stuff. They They wake up. Both of them wake up. They're looking. There's like four men there. They're all dressed in suits. They're like fumbling through some papers. You know, like they're looking for something, and they're picking stuff up, putting stuff down. They can see all this. They're talking, but it's like a whisper, so they really couldn't make anything. So they just hightail it out of there. They get, they hop their ass out of bed. They run up the steps. They're waking the mom and dad up. You know, oh, you got to, you got to believe us. There's two of us seeing this. Dad's pissed off because he got woke up. He might have been trying to get him a little something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'd be pissed off if they come and interrupt that. So they come. They go downstairs. He checks the windows. There's nothing going on. You know, he's got all the lights on. He's like, there's nothing going on in here. What is the problem?
1: Okay, you're not going to see a ghost with the light on, are you?
0: I don't know. Oh, I don't you know. What oh, go ahead. Sorry. I mean,
1: I don't know. Well, they need to stay down there with him then.
0: These ghosts do seem to have a nightlife. It wouldn't be for me because I'm ready for bed at like 10 o'clock. I would <laughs> have to haunt during the day.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so he says, what's going on?
0: Right, and so you know the dad goes out, and he's like he checks there's there's the windows are all closed, there's no tracks in the snow, you know, so he's like, nobody could have came in here. There's no way you could have seen somebody come in the house because there's you know everything's well, locked up, and
1: that would be even more of a hint to me that it is a ghost,
0: well, then they go to the oncologist and they're talking to him about his Paul's problems, yeah. And they say, maybe the medicine's got something to do with it. And the oncologist says, well, you know, whatever we're giving him, it's, it's nothing that can cause hallucinations. Oh. So now they're thinking, well, maybe he's just got, you know, a, a, a mental thing. Well, at this point in time, all the kids are starting to sleep with the lights on, all of them. Yeah. They leave every light on in the house. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, the the money's tight. Right now with this family. So he ain't trying to have
1: no big electric they bill. To handle,
0: and the dad gets the electric bill and it is like out to lunch.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it's like Virgin Islands electric bill.
1: <laughs> <you know? laughs> no doubt. Uh, when the electric's working, that yeah, is. Yeah, when
0: the electric's working. So he, he goes and he flips. And he's like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. He goes down to the basement. He takes all the light bulbs out. <gasps> Except for one light bulb in the um on the nightstand in between the two beds. Oh hell and you nice. can imagine the kids like, dude. I'd
1: be up in mom and dad's bed then.
0: Yeah. So he's like, you know, since y'all won't turn the lights off, I'm gonna make sure you can't turn it on. So that night, you know, the boys wake up because the lights are flipping off and on. And they look up and their sister Connie is at the bottom of the steps, because the steps lead right down to the basement. Yeah. And you can look over at them. She's standing right there and she's flipping the light off and on. Well, the, but the light that's coming off and on are the one that has no bulbs in it. What? It's like these major industrial style flood lamps over top. And there's two or three of them and these lights are coming on and going off and there's no bulbs in them. So the little boy Bobby, he runs upstairs and, and the mom and dad are upstairs in, the, in like the living room doing something and he's like, Hey, you know, where's Connie at? And they said, she's asleep. He said, no, she just ran up the steps. He said, they said, no, she's been asleep for two or three hours. And he's like, well, there was somebody down turning the lights off and on. And, and, you know, this and that. And they're like, um, there's no lights down there to be turned off and on. And your sister's in bed. Go to bed. He goes, he looks in her bedroom. And yes, she's sound asleep. So that's kind of the thing that started, you know, escalating from that point. But oh my when you God,
1: got- That's so frustrating.
0: So what happens is Paul's sick and tired. He's sick and tired of of not being listened to. Yeah. You know, so he decides, you know, to hell with it. I'm just going to confront the voice. Next time I hear it, I'm going to confront it. Well, while Bobby was upstairs confronting all the parents about the lights and doing this and that, Paul hears a voice. So he goes into the uh, morgue room. Mm-hmm. I've called it like a different thing, a morgue room, uh
1: Oh, (laughs) yeah, I know what we're saying.
0: But he goes in that room. He hears his voice. He goes in the room. And about that time, he sees this gentleman all dressed in black. Black tie, black jacket, dark hair, beard. And the guy just starts, you know, talking to him. Nobody really knows what he said. But from this point on, Paul became a different person. He then decides that he wants his own room. He's not afraid to sleep in the dark anymore. Really, he doesn't care about any of that stuff. He started wearing dark clothing all the time, and then his brother that he was so close to, he hardly even talked to him anymore.
1: Get out of here!
0: Yeah, just kind of tired with it.
1: Was it Abe Lincoln?
0: It was not Abe Lincoln. Oh. I'm pretty sure. Was it Johnny King? That's just a shot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs>
1: that's bad. <laughs>
0: so, anyways, uh, like things start to kind of look up for the family. They go back to the oncologist. And they find out that Paul's cancer is in remission, wow, which you would think is would be fantastic news if you thought you only had six months to live and you're fourteen years old, now you find out that your cancer is in remission. um he didn't really take any joy in it. It was almost like eh, okay, cool.
1: The kid didn't.
0: yeah, it's like you know yeah. so the mom and dad are starting to notice a difference in his behavior. Uh, he's got a, a a the mom's niece, uh Teresa, was really close to Paul. And she was having some problems at home with her parents. They were getting a divorce. And,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, she's a teenager. I think she's 15, 16 years old. And they said, hey, come stay with us. Everything's looking better. We're ready for house guests. Come stay with us for a while. It might be good for Paul to have somebody here right. that he likes. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they can, you know, talk, get along, whatever the deal is. So she comes in. What well, she notices that Paul was like, Really angry, he was no longer the the kind of sweet disposition that she was used to. Yeah. So you know it was even obvious to her out right the bat. Now he would tell her everything about how spirits would come and tell him to do bad things.
1: Oh, he told yeah, her. Yeah, he that. told
0: he told her that it was a demon, and that it would tell her to, it would tell him to do bad things to go upstairs and, and disregard his parents and what have you. And at this point, his behavior was tearing the family apart.
1: So, like, so you think the demon? Had him, well, I don't even know how to say that. Well, if you do bad things, you know, your cancer will go away or something
0: No, I doubt it had anything to do that. I think it's oh. probably just a coincidence. Oh. But, you know, like I said, Paul's behavior, it's tearing the family apart. And he would write down these really dark poems. And then he, say, he would say that it came from the man in the suit. So at this point in time, the family's thinking he's just got mental issues. Oh, you yeah. know? And uh, Teresa told Carmen, which is his mom. Uh, about some of the stuff he told her. She's just trying to help. Right. Well, obviously the mom comes down. She wants to see some of the poems. She wants to know where it came from. And Paul's pretty pissed, and he knows who told her because there was only one person that knew. And uh, his temper was starting to really become a problem. So they took Paul to a psychiatrist. He was concerned that he needed other types of therapy. So that's what they suggested that they do. Well, sometime soon after that, Paul attacked Teresa. He went up to her room while she was sleeping, pulled the covers off of her, and then just kind of hopped on the bed and started holding her down, just kind of like, just out of nowhere. Like, why the hell are you doing this? So, they called an ambulance, and they sent him to the hospital. They're just like, you know, we I don't know what the hell's going on.
1: So, he just held her down, though. He didn't hurt her? Yeah, right? well, he
0: didn't hurt her. He didn't really get a chance, because she yeah. started screaming, and the parents ran in there. Um, They get to the hospital. The dad and the mom go to the hospital. And Paul looks at him and says, well, now that I'm out, they'll be after you. And.
1: After who? The parents?
0: I guess anybody else who's in the house. Oh, Lord. So they get back from the hospital. Well, Alan, at this time, he's got to go to work. Remember, he's still eight hours away. Yeah. So he's got to leave to go to work.
1: Carmen- he's like, well, Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Carmen went to Paul's room hoping that she'd see something. She sat down at the bottom of the step and she just kept looking and kept looking because in her mind, she don't want to think that there's something wrong with her kids. Sure. wants she, She's starting now to say, I, I almost want to see something.
1: Yeah. So he can know her son's not crazy. Right.
0: So at this point in time, Carmen goes to take a shower. Teresa is up in the bed asleep, which is the, the niece. Yeah. I know this is going to sound extremely stupid. The shower curtain attacked Carmen.
1: Well, maybe Carmen had a fat butt, and sometimes the shower curtain clings to your wet body.
0: Well, this clung to her all over, like if she'd been wrapped in saran wrap.
1: Oh, it did that.
0: Yeah, it's like she couldn't breathe. She was screaming.
1: Oh my gosh! At the
0: same time, uh, Teresa had the blanket ripped off her. Nobody was there. Just the blanket ripped off of her. She yeah. was sleeping with a rosary bead around yeah, her neck because I would be she too. because that. Gave her comfort, yeah, and it was raising up off of her neck, and, and the blankets were pulled off. She hears Carmen screaming. She runs in there. She yanks the uh, shower the curtain. shower curtain off of her. They go downstairs to sit, and they they start getting these phone calls. Right, well, the phone phone rings, She picks it up, and it's just like a little kid giggling. This happens several times at the same exact time. Alan is at work. And he works in, like, a little small building, almost like a, not a work shed, but, you know, enough for two or three people, about the size of an office room. That's Right, right. He's in there. He hears his truck start up. Now, he's got the keys and everything inside. The truck starts up, puts itself in gear, and drives straight through the (gasps) wall of the office where he's at.
1: Get out. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's practically like a, you know, like a shed, like a toll booth, that type of thing.
1: Oh, my gosh. Drives right through. It kill him?
0: No, no. And, And then- and the house now, keep in mind, all this is happening at the same time back at the house. They see this black mass just kind of floating in the room over top of Teresa and Carmen. And they said it was like a thousand arms touching you all over the place. It Ooh, would just reached down and touch my you.
1: Gosh.
0: Well, about that time, they get a call from Alan telling them what happened with the truck. And she's like, oh, my God, you wouldn't believe what's happening here. And, you know, he's excited. He's like, OK, I've got I'm on my way home even though the truck's half demolished because it just drove through a building. But he's honest. He's going to come home. At this time, Teresa's rosary floated up. She's got it around her neck, but it just floats up in the midair and then just boom. It just rips apart and all the beads fall everywhere. And at that point in time, it was like every belief she had just fell to the floor because she thinks she's protected by this. Yeah,
1: of course. And then
0: all of a sudden it's like, your rosary is no match for me. I don't know who that was. I was kind of of wrestler type. (laughs) <laughs> they called the priest. That
1: is so creepy.
0: That's creepy.
1: That's creepy. Um,
0: so they called the priest and he decides that he's gonna come, but he will not come till the next morning. That was this was morning when they called him, like early morning. Oh, I was say, he, he comes he yeah, comes he would be
1: like, I ain't yeah. coming that damn house tonight.
0: <laughs> he comes later at night. So at this time, Bobby the little boy again, he starts hearing Paul holler for him. He's like, well, how can it be Paul? Paul's at the hospital. He's walking around looking. Well, he hears a knock on the door and it's the priest. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, saved by the doorbell. Sort of Man. The priest shows up. This and he's, is intense. The priest is like no help whatsoever. He's like, well, just try to forget about it. And don't, you know, if you, if you start paying it attention, it just makes it just try to forget about it. Oh, whatever. And they're like, well, how the hell can we forget about it? <laughs> I mean... At one time, the parents said that they were being sodomized by this thing. That's what they said. They said both parents at one point said they were both sodomized by this entity.
1: Oh, my God.
0: There's an entity, out to the entity, entity, the- entity. <laughs> <laughs> so the mom remembers reading a paper some while back. I mean, you talk about a lucky stroke of genius. She remembers there was a couple of demonologists that... She could call that she saw in the paper. All right. I don't know how many times that you've looked in the paper and happened to see an ad for demonologists. But well, I, I've, I've I can't
1: believe ac- I've never, I've never
0: run across that.
1: Maybe that's because I haven't been looking.
0: Who do you think the demonologists were? Any guess?
1: That little woman and that man. But I don't know what their names are. A- I A- A-
0: Ed and Lorraine Warren.
1: Oh yeah, the poltergeist people. Right? No, wait, A- no, no wrong one. Because
0: poltergeist wasn't real. They were uh, the Amityville horror people.
1: Oh, well, you know what I meant. Oh wait. Are they the guys that were in that one movie we watched? They
0: were in The Conjuring, yeah, The Conjuring, The Conjuring, The Conjuring Two, The Amityville Horror. They were in all. They were represented in a bunch of famous cases like this. So they come to the uh, the house to check it out, and Lorraine Warren says that she was immediately drawn to the basement. She goes down to the basement and. She said the infestation was so bad there that, the, that with demons that it was overwhelmingly sickening.
1: Well, I mean, it was a funeral home, so I'm sure many bodies passed through there.
0: She said with demons.
1: Oh, with demons? Yeah.
0: infestation of demons. She said it was Wait. one of the worst that she'd ever seen, and these were the same people that had been in the Amityville horror House.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: She said that they needed to get an exorcism, but exorcisms are really, really hard to get, especially the type that they were going to need for the house. So Lorraine and and Ed called John Zephyrs. He's like their chief investigator and his job is to gather enough evidence to where they could take it to the church and get approval for an exorcism. Mm -hmm. So these, the investigators pretty much moved in and you know, the Warrens told everybody, look, They're here. We need everybody to stay together because when you get singled out, when you're somewhere by yourself, Mm -hmm. this thing's going to pick on you. Stay in a group. That way, if anything happens, everybody's there to see it. Mm -hmm. So that's what they did. Everybody moved down to the the, basically the front or the uh, first floor, and that's where they were sleeping. So they had all kinds of mattresses and stuff like that. And the... Ed and Lorraine, obviously, they're, they're, they're good at what they do. They've heard all this stuff. They've seen all this stuff. Yeah. And the people had questions. You know, they're like, why is this happening to us? So they, they was talking about possession. And while we're on this, let's talk about the five steps of demonic possession. Okay. So the first step is encroachment. What's that? Encroachment is when demons basically select somebody and they need for them to invite them in. Okay. That's one of the reasons why Ouija boards are so bad, because when you're at a Ouija board and you're asking questions, you're inviting something in. That's why it's bad to stay away, you know, good to stay away from Ouija boards.
1: So does that, I mean, this sounds probably like a stupid question, but.
0: There's no such thing as stupid questions, only stupid people that ask questions. Remember that.
1: I don't think I like that wording. <laughs> but anyway, so do demons pick on like people maybe that are depressed and is that dumb? I feel no, like
0: actually, that's very intelligent.
1: Oh, yay me.
0: And what happens is demons will always pick on the weakest. Okay. Which is one of the reasons they think it went after Paul, because he was already sick. Sick, yeah. He was already down. He was already depressed. So that would make sense that he would be the one singled out. Then you have an infestation. Now, what happens during an infestation, that's number two, is they want to isolate the person. Mm -hmm. And once they isolate them and cut them completely out from the rest of the group, then that's when they've got the shot to move in because you don't have the support system then that you normally had. Yeah. Number three is oppression. When the oppression happens, that's when the person starts becoming violent to other people, which you had already seen. With Teresa. happening with Paul. Yeah. He was yeah. already starting to become violent. Then you've got the actual possession. That's when you lose total control of your body. You're a com- the complete will of the demon that's possessing you. And number five is death, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's pretty sad.
0: So that's the five steps of possession.
1: All right. So I'm going to happy my ass up some then.
0: (laughs) So now that Paul's gone, they were going to find the next vulnerable one. And while they're all sitting there having, you know, they're talking and and they're kind of doing like a little seance thing. The um, entity then attacks Carmen, which is the mom. It was pretty brutal. She was almost like her having a seizure. Everybody gathered. Everybody gave her strength, and it just kind of stopped happening. So the researchers decided they were going to stay till they could get an exorcism because, you know, this was tough here. They uh, they they didn't have enough proof, physical proof, and they've got to convince several people in the church mm-hmm. that this is what needs to happen. And the researchers here said this was the worst that they had ever seen out oh, of anything they ever. This was the worst they'd ever seen. Matter of fact, they were staying. Uh, on the mattresses in the floor, and they said the mattresses were breathing. It was almost like they would raise up and raise down and raise up and raise down to the point where like like it was almost saying, we're still here. What are you going to do about it?
1: You sure wasn't a memory foam. It
0: would have had some very bad memories. <laughs> if it was our mattress, it would probably have no memories.
1: What? <laughs> Why do you got to tell that every show? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so John, John Zaffer, uh, I'm sorry, Zaffer's, the one who's the, the lead investigator, he left the group one night, woke up, everybody was asleep, he went in there to start writing some notes. Then all of a sudden, what's he's not supposed to do? Be by yourself. So he's in there writing notes.
1: Well, why didn't he listen?
0: I guess he figured it was just going to be a couple minutes. He's writing his notes. He felt it get really cold. Uh And he kind of knew that it was focusing on him. He could kind of feel it. Uh So he, you know, he felt an energy kind of rush past him. And then he got up and he said, that's enough for me. Uh, you guys are on your own. So oh, he said, like
1: left the house? Oh, he's like,
0: yeah, fuck this. Uh-huh. I'm out. I'm outie. 5,000. And he gathered his stuff, said, I got some information. Y'all stick here. So they he goes and he contacts the priest. And the priest says, okay, I'll go do the investigation. Now, whether you realize this or not, when these priests go to look about doing an exorcism, they do this very skeptical. They want to rule out everything possible before they agree to do an exorcism. Everything from physically to the people, mentally, psychologically, uh, neurologically. They want to make sure there's nothing electrical going on. They want to make sure it's not a hoax. So they're pretty much told when you go in and do this investigation, your job is to rule out everything and you got to look at it like there's no possible way they need an exorcism and you got to be proved otherwise. And that's how these these priests do this. So, they sent in a Father Richard, um, or Father Frank. I'm sorry, Father Frank was the guy that came in, and he went back to the church and said, "Yeah, I think I think that we need an exorcism."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the only way they'll agree to an exorcism is if they think it's demonic possession. Period.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So they go ahead and and approve the exorcism. That's when Father Richard comes in. He comes in to do the exorcism. And the first step is to clean the house, mm-hmm. you know, cleanse the house. So he's going through, sprinkling the holy water, saying his prayers. He gets down to the basement area. He's down there with Carmen, and she can see his shirt pull off his back. Not completely off, but like, you know, how your shirt's kind of loose. And yeah. somebody took their finger and pulled it, yeah, you know, to where it would pull back from your backside, well, that's what happened. Well, he just kind of, he acknowledged that it happened. You could tell that it happened, but he just kind of let it go. And because he didn't want to feed into yeah, you know yeah. what was going on. And the, the exorcism caused the entity to become very violent. It attacked several people in the room. Uh, Teresa and Carmen took the brunt of it, slammed up against the wall, um, pushed down, attacked. But the whole thing was, no matter how hard they were attacked, they just kind of let it go. Yeah. And, you know, they just wanted to make sure that, you know... They didn't get feeded anymore. When it was all said and done and the exorcism was done, everything went away. And by the way, Paul, the whole time that he was away from the house, um, nothing happened. He was comp- just back to the old Paul.
1: Oh, get out. So he was, well, I guess if it wasn't bank- or bothering him and it was on somebody else, then well, that must have been a relief for him then. if not, I know that sounds terrible. Put me in a, in a psyche hospital or something just so I can get some relief from this demon that's bugging him, now he's just going to bug somebody else.
0: Well, absolutely. And I think we can all agree that this is a horrible, horrible situation to be in.
1: Yeah. Man, a lot. That's just awful.
0: So the question is... I'm
1: exhausted just hearing about it.
0: (laughs) The question is, did this really happen? Because depending on who you talk to, um, this is a complete hoax. And the reason why I say that Let's look at, at some of the, some of the facts. Um, you know, the real estate agent or not the real estate agent, but the landlord, she says that even though they've told this story many times, there's been people lived in the house before them and people just lived after them and not one single occurrence has ever happened to anybody other than them. And they stayed there for two years. So why would you live there for two years if you had all this stuff going on? Well, you know, this made it sound like that everything was over like a six-month period, but they stayed there for two years. Mm-hmm. They didn't just move out. But I guess, theoretically, if the house was exercised and you felt like it was cleansed, I don't know, maybe you felt like everything was straight. and There's mm-hmm. no sense of moving out. Now, the Snedeker story first came to light, you know, in uh, Ray Garton's 1992 book, In a Dark Place, the story of a true haunting. In an interview in Horrorbound Magazine, Garten discussed how the, quote-unquote, true story behind the haunting in Connecticut came about. Now, he said that he was hired by Ed and Lorraine Warren to work with the Snedekers and write the story about their house from hell. Well, he interviewed all the family members about their experiences, and he said that there was a problem. He found out that a lot of the accounts of the individual Snedekers didn't quite mesh, that they couldn't really keep their story straight. So he went to Ed Warren and said, uh, hey, this is kind of a problem. And Ed said, oh, they're crazy. He said, You got you got some of the story. Just use what works and make the rest up. Just make it up and make it scary.
1: You mean I sit here and it was all into the story and it might have been a hoax?
0: Well, that's that's what Garden says. He said that, you know, he took the job because he was expecting to have a real true story to base the, the book on. And he said, Hey, I, I just did what I was told. I, I used what I could, I made up the rest, and I tried to make it as scary as I could. Now the Snedegers, they stand by their story, but like I said, it you know, it looks like there's little or no proof that anything supernatural actually ha- happened in the house. And on top of that, you know, they knew about the Amityville horror and they knew that the Lutzes signed a big book deal and they made money off the house and all that. So who's to say that they didn't see this, say it's a good idea. We've got some medical problems. We've got a son with this and that. Let's say this house is haunted. You know, maybe the, you know, the amortition equipment and stuff was found there. And then they came up with the idea that, Hey, you know, we could probably make some money off this.
1: Hmm. Well, right? I want to punch him in the face.
0: But, you know, it's up to whoever you want to believe. Now, to this day, they swear up and down. That's that's what happened. And the movie, 2009 movie, A Haunting in Connecticut, uh, or The Haunting in Connecticut, as it was actually called, um, it really, there was a lot of stuff like ectoplasm coming out of the kid's mouth and all that stuff that, that they never said really happened. They embellished it a little bit. You know, that? ectoplasm is kind of like a gel or something that. Like a slime
1: Ew. that
0: happens sometimes with these energies of, of spirits. Oh,
1: I didn't know that was the name up for it, I guess. Yep. She just said slime. <laughs> <laughs> it had been all over it.
0: I'm trying to be, this is a paranormal podcast. Oh, We're I supposed know. to be professional. Okay. So I will use the term ectoplasm.
1: Okay. Well, I'll remember that from now on.
0: <laughs> so that's the story we got on, on the haunting on the Connecticut. It's up to you to what you want to believe, but they say it happened. People say it didn't, especially after. Uh, Uh, Ed Warren died in 2006, I think it was. After that time, there's been a lot of people in this story come out and say, you know, no, this is what Ed said to do. So we just did it. Wow. But it's no secret that a lot of people felt like that the Warrens were big hoaxes and they just, you know, all about trying to make some money. They've said it about the Amityville Horror. They've said it about this and some of the other stuff they were involved with
1: our focaccia made Panera famous but our family style focaccia pizza will make you famous with your whole family like with your uncle twice removed he shows up for the crunchy but buttery soft focaccia crust or your vegetarian cousin she shows up for a slice of the margarita or your neighbor who just shows up sometimes introducing new family style focaccia pizza in three delicious flavors margarita cheese and pepperoni now at Panera order on the app today pricing and availability may vary visit PaneraBread.com
0: with that being said, uh, let's do our shout-outs for the week. All right. Um, Jill Hampton from Washington. Thank you, Jill. Thank and she you, wrote Jill. Us, she wrote us a review on iTunes. And once again, I will plead and beg and uh, sexual promises to anybody who will, uh, guy or girl. I don't care because I'm, I'm all about you know what it takes to please. But if you just give us a good iTunes review, we greatly appreciate it. It helps us so much. And hey, moving along.
1: And he didn't say that y'all didn't. You did not hear him. Say I said that. that, and
0: I said that on our brand new setup that we're using for the first time tonight, thanks to you guys and your yes, very thank kind you donations. Guys so much. But we have a two mic system for the first time. Um, anything that you guys have donated, it went straight back into us. We're going to be at the Lexington Fear Fest, or I'm sorry, Scare Fest. They'll get pissed that I'm pronouncing it wrong. But we're going to be at the Scare Fest in uh, late September, early October, and. You know, the donations and stuff we get are going to. We already bought a banner to put up there, and then uh, we use it for the uh, entry fee to be able to get in there. So, everything you guys give us, we f- for the most part put right back into the show. So, thank you guys for helping us. Yeah,
1: we're really excited about doing this too. We go every year, and it's just amazing. There's a lot of stars there. Um,
0: yeah, Robert England, uh, yes. as you will know from uh, as uh, Freddie Krueger.
1: One two, Freddie's coming for you.
0: It's absolutely amazing how Tr- Tracy can change her voice like that almost instantly.
1: <laughs> I wish my voice sounded like that, sweet that, and innocent. That's
0: actually our granddaughter, Dakota, which you heard on our um, intro a couple of weeks ago. Uh, let's see. Michelle Hannigan Scott from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's cold as hell birth, so They probably got nothing better to do than listen to our show, so we appreciate that.
1: Yeah, Michelle, thank you. It's
0: like eight degrees below zero in August up there. No, It's not. Bruce Bankhead, the third. I'm not sure where Bruce is. Uh, he told me once, and I don't forgot. But he's in the military. He's in the U.S. Army. Thank um, you for your service. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, thank everybody out there who is performing some kind of, of uh, you know service for their country, whether it be fire department, police, uh, military. We appreciate all you guys.
1: Absolutely thank- do.
0: And we've got Corey Robertson. He's from St. Paul, Minnesota. It was his birthday the other day. So happy, well, happy birthday. Happy
1: birthday, Corey.
0: And thank you guys so much. So like I said, once again, big shout out to all you guys. Thank you so much for liking the show. Come to our Facebook page. We have a lot of fun on there. We interact with people. If you want to send us a message, we talk to you. If you want to send us an email, go to our website, com. You can buy some t-shirts. We sent our first two t-shirts to the United Kingdom this week, and we sent one to Sweden. Uh, you get a picture of it, you can turn around and put it on our Facebook page That's and we amazing. have some fun with it. So I
1: still it just still amazes me to this day. Thank you guys for doing that. That means everything to us.
0: It means mostly everything. You know, life in general means a lot to us too, but we appreciate mm.
1: what you I guys don't know. do. No, I think I like y'all better.
0: Ice cream means a lot.
1: <laughs> well, okay, I have to agree with you there.
0: <laughs> so let's get into our second story tonight. Um this one, um, it's no Big surprise, we, we mentioned the international listeners. You said
1: wee-wee. But <laughs> <laughs> you thinking of France?
0: No, I was thinking I got a little wee-wee. It's oh, a little baby God. one. It
1: always goes there.
0: oh uh, no. Not lately, though.
1: Um, oh. But we have got
0: about 100 listeners in Australia right now, and it grows every single week. So I thought we'd do a little story from Australia. And, uh, of course, we got Dana and, and Lockie out there. Dana did our intro last week. She lives pretty close to this place and Lockie has actually been there a few times. So let's talk about the Airedale Mental Hospital.
1: Why don't we?
0: Dun, dun, dun. All these special effects I like, got, I couldn't have nothing for that. I had to do it myself. I know. If only we were more donations where we could afford better special effects. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so the Airedale Mental Hospital is in, is in Victoria, Melbourne, uh, Australia. It originally was called the Ararat Lunatic Asylum. They didn't really have political correctness. Stop. They
1: did not call it that.
0: They did. This was back in the 1800s, and that's what they called it. Oh, well, there's better. Wait till we get to the deeper part of this. Oh, man. So it was built in 1864, and there was actually two other asylums that were built kind of along the same philosophy at the same time. One was in, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Q-K-E-W, and the other was Beachworth. Uh So these all three were being built at the exact same time.
1: Okay. Well, how else can you pronounce Q?
0: I don't know. It's in a different country. Sometimes they pronounce stuff different. (laughs) How come you say collar rather than color when everybody else in this country says color?
1: Because I'm country.
0: Okay. Anyways, so it was built and designed by G.W. Vivian and J.J. Clark. Rumor has it that patients actually built it, but it wasn't the case. It was contracted by O'Grady, Glenn, and O'Callaghan. I'm assuming they were Irish. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe. Um... this place was like a town within a town. I mean, it it had it housed all kinds of people, but at the same time, it had its own garden, it had its own orchard, it had livestock, so they had pigs and cattle uh there. At its height, it had over 500 staff members. Wow. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, it sounds like a nice place, though. I well, mean, they, a nice- They
0: all do. Well,
1: start. I'm just saying-
0: They started having patients there in 1865, and they closed in 1998- in 2001, it became the campus for Melbourne Polytechnic. Um, they wanted to to actually have a, a school there where they could become the best of the best as far as wine and hospitality in Australia, because there wasn't really any fine wine vineyards, mm-hmm. so that's what their, their goal was to do there. One of the unique things they had here, which was, I guess, kind of cool, considering it seemed like back then nobody really gave a shit what anybody thought, mm-hmm. but they had what they call ha ha walls and these were walls that went around the outside to mm-hmm. keep prisoners from escaping i'm going to try to paint this picture so you can get it but picture you've got level ground and then it takes a diagonal cut down maybe 5 or 6 feet like they just like they just went diagonally down yeah and then they would put the wall there but they wouldn't do anything on the other side so on one side it looked like the wall was low if you were looking like from the street area. Yeah, because there was no dip, but it was like a moat practically around it on the inside. So what they did was it it prevented them from being able to get over it because on one side of the wall it was like ten feet.
1: Yeah, oh. but on the
0: other side of the wall it was only like seven feet.
1: Oh my gosh! So, that's so it crazy. gave the
0: appearance that that you know, hey, it's lovely. They're not really being killed prisoners, but on the yeah, inside, yeah, but they really were where people couldn't see. That that was the whole deal. Wow. So. 130 year history tens of thousands of people died there this place was basically cuz remember australia was was basically started by the british and this was you know at the time
1: mm-hmm.
0: all the british royalty and stuff that was there yeah. of the of the high society that were as they called them described as lunatics idiots or imbeciles <laughs>
1: Nice.
0: Yeah, like I said, political correctness wasn't a strong point back in 1865. These people, they wanted them out of sight, so they just sent them here. And that's where they went.
1: Well, I mean, what gave them the right to decide who was what?
0: Well, that's funny because actually all it took was two signatures to get you in. If you thought your wife was cheating on you and you wanted to send her to a mental hospital, you could sign her in. You could sign and then the doctor would sign behind you. Boom, they're in.
1: God, can so, you imagine if that was today? If,
0: if you were like PMSing, you could just get rid of somebody.
1: Uh, I can almost see that though.
0: Yeah. I mean, but that, that literally happened. I mean, I say that jokingly, but it's really not a joke because literally women that were going through the change and stuff like that, that just become bitches because of the yeah. hormones, they would say, ah, oh, I'm tired of dealing with you. Time for you to go to, you know, Ararat. So that's what, that's what happened. So. Fifty years before Sigmund Freud, or 40 years before Sigmund Freud, is when all this was taking place. And this hospital had some of the most controversial psychiatric treatments that that Australia had, even, had ever seen. I mean, there was around 13,000 people that died in in the 130 years here due to something that the doctors did
1: on purpose
0: well not necessarily on purpose but i mean just trying new psychiatric treatments and stuff like that oh my gosh so over you know
1: i didn't have no rats back then
0: well there there was rat treatment there wasn't there but i mean but as a result it's considered to be one of the most haunted locations in australia i mean you can imagine you got over thirteen thousand people that died due to some kind of cruel medical procedure that's
1: sad
0: so, but over the last year, they actually opened it up for nighttime uh, exploration and ghost tours, which they had never done before. So that's pretty cool. Many report the paranormal activity that's so strong there and they can't really pinpoint one particular ghost. There's actually several ghosts. So I thought we'd talk a few seconds about what we got as far as the ghost. The first one you got is Nurse Carrie. She, she's haunts the women's wing. And it looks like she's always watching you. You're like, the people that come in on the ghost tours, so they feel like they're being watched the whole time in there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, she was one of these nurses, as opposed to, like, really harsh and wicked and really cruel to the patients when she Aww, was
1: Oh, man. She sucks.
0: Yeah. And then, also in the women's ring, wing, there's... Keep in mind, in the women's ring, there was a lot of... I said ring. In the wing. The women's wing. I thought I had, like, a speech impediment or something. The women's well, wing. women,
1: say it three times. The women's women, women, wing. Women wing.
0: But supposedly, you know, there was a lot of women that, that were there that had, you know, postnatal problems and depression and, yeah. and what have you. And so they were there. And as you're in that area, that actual wing, you can have a stroke of a hand or a touch to your face in that particular. That's what usually happens in that area. Yeah. Now that you can get some unexplained pains and just a feeling of, of being touched by an, an old man in the old man's ward and it was like a surgery wing is what that one was so in the old man's ward they had a surgery wing and when you're in that part of it it feels like people are, are touching you and just kind of you just feel the pain yeah Oh while gosh. You're that. then they have a covered bridge that leads to the uh, the men's ward and they call it the suicide walk there was a lot of people that actually that bridge they just couldn't take it anymore and actually killed herself off of that bridge Oh. and they said that what happens is in, in that when you get to the men's ward, doors will slam. You can hear voices. You see a bunch of shadows, um, icy hands, so, and with will grab you like with a steel grip. I mean, it's just, and it's almost like they're regretting what they did mm-hmm. and just kind of holding you back. Um, when you get to you know some of the staff members' places, like the uh, office of the uh, old facility director. You get really cold winds that rush through there, even though there's no way Windows for any winds. To, yeah, no way for the winds to actually get by there. And then there's a spot uh, where a, a supervisor actually killed himself, and he drunk prussic acid.
1: Oh, my god! And they said
0: that when you get in that area, that even people who did, don't know what happened there, they get like a, a really bad taste in their mouth, and they get real nauseous.
1: Can you imagine drinking acid?
0: Well, I don't know what kind of acid it was. I mean, I don't know if it's like hydrochloric acid. I don't know. I've not doing research on it. Now, you, there's a banging that can be heard on the uh, the walls at the very back area of the men's wing uh, where they hit the isolation cells. So that's something that goes on there on a regular basis, just some banging. But the most curious, I thought, out of all the ghosts that I learned about was the ghost of old Margaret. Remember, they closed this thing down in the 90s, back in 98. Yeah. And some of these people, they had to go somewhere. They had to leave. And some people, they were there their entire life. This is all they knew. And Margaret was one of those people. And she was kind of forced to leave. But they say that her ghost is still there. That after she died, she came back and she's been there ever since.
1: I wonder where she went. I don't know. I it's funny have... how
0: that whole story, you care about where she went after they took <laughs> <picked laughs> her out.
1: I mean, that's <laughs> that's interesting to me. I wonder what she would do. Oh. So. So that's a sad story. It that's is your, a sad that's story. It's so sad.
0: But at least that place is now getting some good use out of it. I mean, you got students there, they're teaching about hospitality. They got yeah. you know, they've got planted a groves of olives out there and the vineyards and all well, that that's stuff. That's good. So it's finally getting some some good use that's out of awesome. it. awesome. And there was a stretch um too where when after they closed it down before it started becoming a school, they actually were using it to house prisoners for a while. So it's gotten its fair share of use. Well, sure sure. It has. And it's a huge place too. Yeah. I mean, it's got like 60 buildings.
1: Oh wow! Yeah,
0: and it's all this Victorian architecture and what yeah. have you. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Really you know cool. what
1: they needed? They needed those ghosts to haunt those prisoners' butts.
0: Well, why would hunting their butts do anything? There's I mean, enough yeah. butt stuff that goes on in prison. Well,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know that, but I'm just saying they should tour. I mean, they should haunt them for the bad deed that they did.
0: Okay, no. let's let's do this. Oh. No, I'm just moving the show along.
1: Oh,
0: I'm just moving along. That's what I do. I'm a facilitator.
1: Uh, okay, got the hint on that one.
0: Well, so we've got a couple of nursery rhymes to discuss, but before we do the nursery rhymes, it's time for our little fun feature for the night. We're going to have Tracy doing some rapping, and uh, as we did with the Two chains, we got a lot of people say they really like the fact her reading the Two Chain lyrics. So tonight, what we're going to have her doing is she's going to read some Rihanna lyrics. That's Rihanna. It, whatever. Eggman. Rihanna. Rihanna. Say. Either way.
1: Bitch better have my money. You all should know me well enough. Bitch better have my money. Please don't call me on my bluff. Pay me what you owe me. Well, bigger than LeBron. Bitch better have my money. Who y'all think your frontin' um bitch better have my money? Like bright bright. Bri, bri, bri. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Alright, I'm sorry I just, just uh probably still
0: didn't get any better than that. Now
1: yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I didn't make y'all like go throw up in a bucket or something.
0: <laughs> oh, wait till Rihanna hears that. If we get a cease and desist from Rihanna, that would just make
1: my entire life. I even had my head bobbing. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't help, though. Just letting you know.
0: Well, that was Tracy's subtle way of trying to say we need more donations.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> and remember that, that's his subtle way of trying to embarrass me on the air. That's what it is.
0: <laughs> like, a, you need help with that.
1: Um, oh my Lord. Anyways,
0: so while we're on that subject, if anybody wants to donate or buy a t shirt, Go to our uh, website, com and you can send a nice, friendly donation to the show if you like what we do and you think we're worth a couple bucks.
1: And thank you guys so much for buying our T-shirts. It's so cool seeing you guys wear our shirts, like, in other countries. It just blows my mind. I always show everybody at work. I bring my phone out and say, hey, oh, my God, look at this. And Anyway, that's so exciting, and um, we do love you guys for doing that. We really appreciate you. And sorry I did all that terrible rapping right there. Hope you forgive me and keep listening. I'm
0: sure they do forgive you. Okay. We actually got some cool stuff that we want to tell you guys about. I want to tell you a little bit about next week's show. Next week's show, we're going to have uh, Andrea Whitney on. She's actually a editor-in-chief for the Kirbyville Banner in Kirbyville, Texas, which we have so many fans in Texas. It's amazing. Every, every week... We look at the top 10 cities in the United States, actually in the world. It's the top 10 in the world. There's always four cities of the top 10, uh, Austin, Houston, Dallas, uh, and uh, San Antonio. They're always in the top 10. So we've got a paper in Texas that wants to do a story on us. And uh, Miss Whitney actually has some awesome stories. And there, there's one she shared with me. And I said, you have got to come on the show and talk about that story. And, uh, it, when you hear this thing, it's going to blow your mind. And, and I'm excited about it. But she's going to be on next week's show to talk about that. So I'm excited about that and, uh, excited about the fact that she thinks we're worthy enough to do an article for a newspaper.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's really nice of you. Thank you.
0: And we're going to close the show out.
1: Um, and you're about, probably like, thank God. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, and by the way, follow us on Twitter. I'm trying to get more Twitter followers. It's uh hillbilly horror or at the rent daddy. Um, but follow us on Twitter, join our Facebook page. We have a lot of fun on there. So we're going to end this with a couple of nursery rhymes. And, uh, our, like I said, our buddy Tina, she said, Hey, why don't you do some of these? I looked into a couple and I found a couple that was worth doing. So the first one we're going to do is Rockabye Baby. Now, this originally came and was written in 1765. Uh, but think about the words. Let's, let's, let's rehash. And for some of you younger people that maybe, you know, didn't get any of this sung to you but it's yeah sing it i'm not singing it
1: rock a bye baby on the treetop when the wind blows the cradle will rock when the bough breaks the cradle will fall and down will come baby cradle and all okay that is effed up yeah what, what kind of sick shit that? is
0: that <laughs> i mean there is nothing in there if a baby could understand what the hell you were singing to them, they would be like, I need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. That's what they'd be. They'd be like, man, I don't know what kind of shit's going on in this house, but um I can't be staying here because they're evil.
1: Yeah, that's pretty bad once you think about it. and It really is.
0: So where did this come from? The one interpretation. Is this a- is a song of King James Second of England and Mary Medina, Madon- like Funky Colt Medina, yeah. maybe. It's widely believed that the the baby boy that they had was not their real son and that it was switched at birth in order to ensure a Roman Catholic heir to the throne. Hmm. So that's supposedly what this is about, about, you know, the boy coming down and the baby boy coming down and all this stuff. But it was supposed to be almost like, you know, you're not our son. We should have killed you or something <laughs> of that nature.
1: And but that's it's just rude.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and we didn't even get into the whole uh London Bridge stuff with the... uh um, child sacrifices, but we'll get into that maybe some other night. The other one I want to talk about, and this is, I had no idea, and I feel so stupid, uh, for not knowing this, because I've actually heard this before as a rhyme, but I thought it was just some racist person just, uh, deciding they were just going to substitute words. But, any, meeny, miny, moe. We, most of us have heard this as any, meeny, miny, moe, catch a tiger by his toe. And that kind of is not the way this originally started.
1: <laughs> I don't like the way it originally started. Actually, I'm just saying. Tiger used to be the
0: N-word. That's um, awful. Back years and years ago. And it would actually be any, meeny, miny, mo, catch up. Don't mm-hmm, say that word By his toe. If he won't work, then let him go. Skidoo, skiddy, skadoo
1: Okay, well, that's just stupid, the ending.
0: Well, it was a very common thing with school kids back in 1888. Uh, it was even used in, in the chorus of Bert, <laughs> Bert Fitz, Fitzgibbon's 1906 song, "Any Meeny, Miny, Mo." This was something that was actually being played, singing, and, 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 you know, if they had radio back then, that was being played on the air. Now, it was also in Rudyard Kipl- Kipling's accounting song from uh, Land and Sea Tales." for scouts and guides in 1935, and that's the way it was printed
1: mm-hmm. inside
0: there. And just to give you some ideas on some things that have happened with that, this case, um, in 1993, a high school teacher in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, provoked a student walkout when she asked her students about their poor test scores. What did you do? Just just go eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a by the toe? The school's direct superintendent recommended the teacher lose three days of pay, undergo racial sensitivity training, and have placed and have it placed in their personal file along with a disciplinary pay cut. Hmm. That was in ninety three, so somehow yeah. or another they felt the need to just that was okay to just say that.
1: No, that's terrible to say.
0: Now, this is something that happened a little more recently. In two thousand and three there was a lawsuit uh against uh Southwest Airlines because apparently one of the things they would do, you know, Southwest is known for kind of being funny.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, when you, you know, you're on board, they like to have fun with their guests. And at one point in time, they did two different little rhymes. And one of them was, Eeny, Meeny, miny, Moe, please sit down. It's time to go. And then one of them was, pick a seat. It's time to go. But a couple of African American, um, passengers felt a need to file a lawsuit charging the airline with intentional infliction of emotional dispre- distress and negligent infliction of emotional distress. They lost. Um, because they didn't say the word. They just said any, me, any, because they used that yeah, phrase. Same from years ago. But it was, you know, the jury returned a verdict in favor of Southwest, and, and then the plaintiff's appeal was denied. Huh. Now, this is really recent, like within the last couple months. A retailer, Primark, pulled a T-shirt from its stores that featured the rhyme overlaid with an image of the Walking Dead character uh, Negan's basketball bat, Lucille. A customer, Minister Ian Lucrift, had complained that the t-shirt was fantastically offensive and claimed the imagery relates directly to the practice of assaulting black people in America. I don't know, a lot of people probably saw this story, but it's like the baseball bat that had some uh, I think it had a little bit of blood on it and had like some barbed wire going yeah, around the it. The one that and killed it, Glenn. Yeah. Or it, was and it, it was? said any, me, Miny, miney, mo on it. And it caused a big controversy. Like I said, just a couple months back. And, um, you know, the, the gentleman who plays the character, uh, said, Hey, you know, I don't even know what this is about. This is yeah. just, you know, but,
1: well, he probably honestly did not. I mean, right. He probably didn't realize that was about, but that's just, I don't know. Anyway, terrible
0: thing. So guys, this has been a super fun show. I hope you enjoyed it. I think it's probably one of our best. And we're excited to be able to use our new new merchandise. Thanks to you guys. Yeah, thanks, um, guys. Everything that we're able to do from going setting up at ScareFest to getting new equipment to getting banners are all because of you. And we greatly appreciate that. Thank each and every one of you. The only thing that I'm going to ask you to do this week is tell a friend. If you like what you're hearing, get somebody else involved. And uh, let's try to grow this baby.
1: we yeah, appreciate it. we do appreciate you guys. We want you guys to have a great week. It's finally we're a little sad today. Our cats lost, um, but they played a really great game, so um, we're a little sad about that, but that's all right, but um, it's warm now, it's sunny and everything. so just have a great week. We look forward to talking with you guys next week and just remember to love one another. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Bye.